Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'll begin reading in verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that it is that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? And then through verse 3 of chapter 4. Again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Heavenly Father, bless to our understanding. The reading of your infallible, inerrant word. The grass withers, the flower fades and falls to the ground, but your word remains forever. Amen. Our uh, culture in its present state diminishes justice and diminishes justice even though it talks about justice a lot it calls things justice which are exactly the opposite of justice and so when we read this verse we we uh, we can see readily its application we see uh, hundreds of criminals who are every day turned loose for committing crimes. At one of the Bible studies I go to, I go to several, at one of them, we were talking about this issue. Now, there are places in, in the big cities and particularly on the West Coast where criminals know that they can steal a, up to a certain limit and to the point where they even take a calculator with them so they don't exceed the whim limit of what they can steal that the government won't prosecute. This is the height of 
calling uh, evil good. Um, tens of thousands of, of illegal aliens flooding across the border with no accountability. I, um, I am the grandson of immigrants to this country. I have access to the documents by which they entered this country in 1918. I, it's, uh, it's a, it, it, they had to have certain things, certain provisions, uh, and they came uh, uh, from two parts of Poland to this country, and uh, they worked in a shoe factory. They had to have a job, and that was part of the condition of their immigrations, and yet now we have none of that. All of that has been swept away. And so we see this truth of uh, uh, injustice uh, constantly. We see those in high places. We, we uh, see crimes um, committed in high places. And there seems to be nothing that we can do about it. Well, that's not true. There is justice. Wickedness will be brought um, to justice. I, uh, I, as I think back on the political landscape of all my life, <laughs> and now that things come out after the uh, statutes of limitations on documents have been uh, overturned, if you follow such a thing, you should follow such a thing. If you're a citizen, if you're a historian, you should be. You should be aware of what go has gone on in our, in our lifetime even, and even those of who've lived some years. But I think of all the, um, the wickedness that have surrounded people in high places, like, like all the notorious um, uh, licentiousness of John F. Kennedy, one of the heroes of this land. And yet, here's a man who was uh, uh, a champion of many things that were good. And apparently, he was, uh, his life was taken by, by uh, nefarious means, um, if you believe. Um, what has been put out. Someone like Lyndon Baines Johnson, who was something of a figure. I remember being in a play in, in, in uh, elementary school where I had to be uh, President Johnson. <laughs> I think of how funny that is in retrospect. Richard Nixon, notorious for, for crimes, and yet uh, now uh, seems what, had, what, had, what he was supposedly done to lead to his resignation seems to pale in the sight of, of what has happened. And so we see these, like, and then we see the scandal du jour. Every day there's a new scandal that comes out of political leaders. And we wonder, wonder why. Well, I want you to think about the writer of this, these verses. This is King Solomon. This is him as an old man looking back. And I want you to reread and meditate on 1 Kings chapter 11 and be reminded that none of this is new. Even for the kings of Israel, there was never a more uh, ungodly, immoral person than King Solomon. Idolater promiscuous, a thousand concubines. 
I read, I read the summation of his life in 1 Kings, and I wonder, is this man, how is this man, how is he used of God to write the Word of God, Proverbs, Song of Songs, and this book? Well, this is his testimony. This is the testimony that he has. And he's talking about himself. Wickedness in high places is nothing new. If you've ever studied history, and I hope you've studied history, if you've ever studied, for example, the history of the kings of England and the queens of England, you know it's lurid, and you know it's wicked, and you know it's vile. I don't recommend it for young people. Now they'll go all looking it up online, right? <laughs> If you think of Solomon's life, he's no better. And so when he speaks about wickedness in high places, he speaks with authority in the place of his throne where we know when Solomon began as a young man, he was, he was probably a teenager in his late teens when he started to reign. And he had the, the gift of God, the anointing of God upon him to ask for the right thing. What should I ask for? And God said, you ask for whatever, whatever you want. And he asked for wisdom. And God says, because you haven't asked for riches and because you haven't asked for power, I am going to give you those things and I am going to give you wisdom. And he starts out right away. He comes and he's able to, to, to deal with it, the famous dispute of two women who are fighting over the baby. And he says, let's just take this baby and cut this baby in half. And the rightful mother cries out, don't do it. He knows how to divide the baby. And yet, with all that wisdom and all that background, he turns away from the war. There are four things in this passage that we see. We see the wickedness of the world. We see that God will judge the wickedness of the world. We see that judgment comes to all creatures, men and beasts alike. And then finally that God's justice in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4, God's, ju God's justice in opposition to man's justice is perfect. So what do we do? We've already covered the first point. When we think of the wickedness of the world, this present world, it's, uh, it's astounding. And what we really should think about is what Solomon is thinking about. No doubt when he writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he saw under the sun his own wickedness, his own tendency to seek his own welfare at the expense of of others. Isn't that what we do all the time? Isn't that human nature? Aren't we all by our own nature selfish and to seek our own way? And the truth is especially poignant as we come to the Lord's table. What are we told to do every time we come to the Lord's table? We're told to judge ourselves, right? 1 Corinthians 11. Judge, judge yourself. 
Recognize your own sin before you come to the Lord's table. And if you, we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. If we confess our sins and we acknowledge how much wickedness remains in us, we know how much forgiveness we need and how we need the spiritual nourishment that comes from the word and the sacraments. That's verse 16. Verse 17, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. What we, ha what we have is a preview. Uh, Solomon knows in his heart that God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Again, going back to the refrain in the first eight verses, that there's a time and there's a matter for every work, every thought, every, uh, every deed, every, everything we even think is open to God. You need to, we need to constantly consider that. We live in the presence of God who made us out of nothing. And before him, nothing is hidden. There, we have no secrets. We have no ability to hide anything. So the word of God compels us. The Holy Spirit compels us to bring our thoughts, to bring our heart, to bring our actions under his lordship. And on that basis, we will be judged. Well, and we have... We have this incredible preview of what that looks like in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. Solomon speculated about it. Jesus, Jesus was giving uh, the words to Solomon to write. The eternal word of God was moving him to write the very word of God. And then he comes and dwells among us. And then he tells us explicitly what this means. There, there's nothing that we cannot understand about the final judgment. We understand much more than Solomon understood when he wrote this. In Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all nations, and he will separate people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, or visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's the judgment of the righteous. Now the judgment of the wicked. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. 
Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Earlier in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus makes it clear that each one will be judged or rewarded according to his work. Three, judgment comes to all preachers. This is, uh, these verses are fascinating because it compares men to animals, right? Men to beasts. Because they are, are made with the breath of life. This word here is ruach. In Hebrew, it's spirit. It tells us that they have a spirit. They have the same breath. The same breath that animates us animates them. Now, that's uh, pretty strong. If you go over to Genesis 1.30, when God creates the animals, it's, he says they have a nephesh. They have the breath of life in them. They have the soul, same soul that humans have. But I don't understand that. It's not a one-to-one not -one equivalence. But it's an important notation. It's important to note that what Solomon, Solomon doesn't have all the revelation of God, but he notes the importance of animal life. And we should as well. And if anybody's ever had a deer pet and you've had to lose, it's like, it's a painful thing. That's why, that's one reason I don't like pets is you get so attached to them and then they're gone. We, we usually outlive them. Solomon observed this and it was painful to observe. Then all is vanity because they, everything is swept away. And here's that verse that we get the funeral liturgy from. They're all dust. Everything, everything uh, 
is going back to dust. They have the same breath, man and beast. Seems to be all vanity. Again, with the whole of the word of God, animals and humans do not are not equivalent. I'm not don't don't take that this way. It would be the wrong way to take it. But it, it, the right way to take it is animals are important. When the righteous is kind to his animals, we should be kind to our beasts. The point is that death follows all because when God judged the world, he judged the whole creation. And because he judged the whole creation, all creatures that have breath will die. He doesn't know. The other, he, he doesn't have the full revelation and in the inspired uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He moves him to write. Who, who knows? Well, God knows. That's the answer. It's like, it's like reading the, the words of Job's comforter in, in Job. You've got to be careful when you read those. How do you apply those? Because some of it, how do you apply bad advice? And uh, some of this is here, but I, I don't think that's, that's, that's quite the case. He's making, he's making the point of the shortness of life. One of the most frequent questions I get asked in my ministry is, what do you think about cremation? And I said, well, what do you think about, and I always follow it, what do you think about embalming? There is one instance of a believer being embalmed in the Bible, and that was Joseph. But, but that whole practice was a pagan practice. People often say cremation was a pagan practice. Yes, it was. But so is embalming. So is one above the other. If you, if you, if you want to know the biblical method of burial, this is it. If you want to plan accordingly, you can do it in Arkansas. On the day you die, make sure someone takes you right down to the cemetery and puts you immediately in the coffin. They can put you on dry ice until, until that time and be buried immediately that day within 24 hours. I think that's right. You don't know? I think that's right. I just read the statute. You can be buried in one day. And if you want to know the most biblical way to do it, that's it. Because that's the way Abraham buried Sarah at the Oaks of Mamre when he bought a, bought a cave for her to be put in. And now it's a big synagogue where everybody comes and fights over it. It's hilarious. The point is, we're going to dust. And Denise and I were gifted a trip to Egypt years and years ago. We went to Mount Sinai, and, and we rode the taxi out in the desert and came to Mount Sinai. And the first person that greeted us was a little boy you know, yelling, you want to see the monkeys? You want to see the monkeys? I said, is he going to take me to see a whole TV show or whatever? I didn't see any monkeys in Egypt up to that point. And then he's, he's also yelling, you have strong heart, you have strong heart. I said, yeah, I have a strong heart. So he grabs us and he, and yeah, we want to see the monkey. So he, he runs us down to this back entrance to this old church. And we go into the basement about the size of this room. And there's a pile of skulls halfway up to the top. And then on the side of the room, there's a 
there's a bone um, file for the thigh bone and for this bone. And bone. It's the monks. It's all the monks who had been in that, that uh, monastery for all the years. And that's where they were buried. And ultimately, they would become dust. When Jesus died on the cross and he was taken down, his body was anointed for burial. They were thinking that that was the way he was going to go. And they would anoint the body with perfume and they would leave it in the tomb, the open tomb, and then the bones would be collected. And years later, they would be put into a little box called an ossuary now, and then they would turn to dust. A number of years ago, there was a, a rock song that picked up on this lyric, all we are is dust in the wind. And it's and I used to make me mad, but then I read these verses and I said, Well, it's kind of saying what Ecclesiastes is saying. If you think of all the martyrs who've been burned, think about all the all the believers who've been lost at sea, all the martyrs who were eaten by animals, torn to shreds and scattered around. God in his miraculous providence is going to rearrange every molecule of that by his sovereign hand to raise them up in a body on the last day. That's what the Bible teaches. From the perspective of Solomon, when he wrote this, he couldn't see that. We know that because we have the full word of God. We have 1 Corinthians 15 that clearly tells us that what is sown in corruption will be raised in incorruption. And then one day, uh, death, the final enemy, will be destroyed. It will be trampled. But until then, it is the judgment of God. God's judgment, finally, is perfect. Solomon Again, doesn't know everything, but he does He does know this. That there's no hope in this life apart from a Redeemer who will redeem us from sin and death. No power, no circumstances, no difficulty can overtake the child of God. It is a dismal uh, assessment. Judgment is dismal for the one who does not have faith and trust in Christ alone. <clears throat> I would hope and pray that doesn't apply to anyone here tonight. Our great hope, our great comfort is the gospel. We have a hope that's reserved in heaven for us. And we have the great privilege of anticipating that hope as we participate in partaking of the Lord's Supper, which our, G our Lord Jesus gave us on the night in which he went to the cross to die in our place. And until he comes again, these simple elements proclaim his life to us until he comes again. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to hear your word open and read. Apart from Christ, life is dismal. Life is 
hard and bad and, and then you die and then there's no hope for those who don't know Christ. Father, thank you that you have not left us in that condition. And anyone in the hearing of, of the word of God here tonight who may have doubts, who may have fears, may they not leave this place without the great comfort of knowing their sins are forgiven, the price has been paid, and they are already in principle raised up with Jesus for all eternity. Father, make that a reality for each one. As we've heard the word read, may we believe it and hold it fast so that we would not despair, that we would not be bitter uh, uh, in our unbelief. And, and uh, Father, the, the uh, reaping of the consequences of a life of rebellion as we hear from Solomon in these words, these haunting words. But Father, may they instead turn us to the cross, turn us to King Jesus, who has taken judgment on, on himself on our behalf. And we pray for this now in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our hymn of preparation 429. Come thou fount of every blessing. church is open to members in good standing of an evangelical church. 
If you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you're seeking by God's grace to live as a disciple of Jesus, you're welcome to, to this table. We do remind you of the words of institution given to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, who said on the night in which uh, was delivered to him what Jesus, uh, Jesus delivered to him what Jesus said to the disciples in the night in which he was betrayed, that this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, um, he took the cup and, and blessed it in the same way. And uh, that's what we do and when we receive uh, this sacrament is we remember what Jesus did and we also proclaim his death and we also experience union with Christ and we also experience union with our brothers and sisters who are present and not only those who are present, those who uh, are uh, around the world in various places and throughout our community, our state, who love Jesus and uh, we have communion with them. And we also have communion with those saints who've gone before us. So it's such an important time to meditate upon what brings us all together. And it's our common faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. So if that's your heart and desire um, to feed upon Christ, if you know there's, um, and, and even though for members of the church, if there's sin in your life that you've not dealt with, if there's relationships that are broken that you've not taken the time and effort to reconcile, you should wait until you do those things, do those hard things, and then come and worship. And um, so you not to incur judgment. But at the same time, mindful that this is not for perfect people. This is for forgiven people. This is for people who, who need to feed upon the spiritual food of the grace of the Lord Jesus. So uh, I'm, I am uh, obligated to give you that warning uh, in Scripture. That because people haven't done this, haven't seriously examined themselves, many are weak and many are sick, and some have even fallen asleep as a result. Um, but the Christian shouldn't be full of fear. We should be full of joy for the, the grace that Jesus has given us to come to him. So let's pray. Father, set apart these common, ordinary elements for this sacred purpose. And we ask in, and that you would do this, that we would feed upon this simple piece of bread, this, this simple cup of, of, uh, of wine or juice that uh, represents the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus, this bread, in such a way that we know more deeply and more fully our union with Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Again, after Jesus had blessed the bread, as we have done, he took it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for me. Do this, all of you, in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is given for many for the remission of sins. All of you drink of it in remembrance of me. Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is given for many for the remission of sins. All of you drink of it in remembrance of me. Gracious Father, thank you for your provision for us in Christ. In him, you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You've given us everything we need for this life and for the next. And Father, in this life, it's short, it's difficult, it's hard. In anticipation of a future life of glory forever with Jesus. Father, thank you for your incredible provision. Dismiss us and strengthen us through this time of communion with you, with your people, through what Jesus has done for us. We pray in his name. Amen. Yeah.
We are closing him. Day of judgment. Day of judgment.